Um, my name is Mel, and with my husband, Nick, who's here, give a wave. Um, we're hosting the Life Hurts seminar stream this week. Um, Nick opened up on the first day, um, and he just spoke about life hurting, but God being with us and God's promises to us. Yesterday, we had Katie Lingard, and she spoke about bullying and mistreatment. And today, we've got Phil Wilthew, who's coming to speak to us about rejection and abandonment. Phil is married to Carol, and they have two amazing teenage children, and they all live in Bedford. Phil is an elder at King's Arms, which isn't a pub. It is actually a church. Um, and Phil is passionate about seeing the kingdom come and lives restored and cities transformed. So how, how we're going to do it is, is similar to yesterday, where we're going to play a short video, and then Phil's going to come up and just share what God has for us this morning. experience of feeling rejected or abandoned would be when I was in reception, just starting primary school. I had a friend who was really close, like best friends, sisters, and the week after, a new girl started the school and she abandoned me and left me and just went to go and play with someone else. And I felt really, you know, lost in myself because I thought you was, gonna, you was here for me for the first week and now someone else has come along, you just left me and I was here for you. My experience with the feeling rejected and or abandoned are like girls more or less when like you ask a girl out and they say no so that's kind of rejection in a way I haven't really been rejected in any other way close to the beginning of secondary school um, I didn't really know anyone in my year so I didn't really have any friends or like a social kind of club so I felt kind of a bit like left out and I usually just went to the library at lunch and break time so I didn't really have anyone to talk to and it was just not a nice feeling. I don't feel like I've been abandoned or rejected in any way to be honest because I've still got the friends I need and the family that I need and everyone's still by my side. It had a really massive impact because um, on some days I didn't really want to go to school. Um, I felt kind of lonely and I was just by myself all the time so I didn't really know how to be myself or how to like interact with anyone else. It made me think that not everyone you come across could be someone that actually matters to you and you should choose your friends wisely. Advice I would give to someone who is feeling rejected is to be a bit more confident or to tell a teacher beforehand um, like when you're just beginning to feel that way because it will help much more and the longer you keep it the less in um, the more insecure you'll feel and I think um, just talk to a teacher or just tell someone about how you're feeling because then maybe they can help you you can join a social club or uh, just be a bit more interactive with peoples that you would never see yourself talking to keep doing what you're doing but don't let stuff things like that bother you because one day you will find someone that's going to be always there for you thanks for coming to this seminar this uh mic lead is small apparently so i need to not walk around with it otherwise i'm going to get tugged back thanks so much for coming this morning uh we're going to have a good time together 
And uh, we are focusing in on this uh, particular issue of where life hurts the most. And we're looking at this issue of rejection and abandonment, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But before we do, uh, I'd love us just to pray. Um, one of the great things about God is that he always has good things to say. And so right at the start of this seminar, we're just going to spend a little bit of time praying and prophesying over a few of you because God has some good things to say to some of you. So why don't you just quickly grab the shoulder of someone you're sitting near and we are just going to quickly pray and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us and be with us. So I'm going to pray, but you also be just be praying for the person you're sitting next to. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for your presence here right now, and we thank you that you come with all of the answers to our questions this morning, and God, we want to put you right at the center. Thank you for what we've just been hearing, that Jesus, you are our great bridegroom, that we are going to be joined with you forever and ever and ever, and Jesus, we just celebrate you again in this seminar. We thank you that we're here because of you. This is for you. It's about you, and it's about your glory, Jesus, and So we just invite you, Jesus, by your Spirit, to come and work in our hearts. Lord, come and shift things in our thinking. Lord, come and break issues off our lives. Come and change uh, lies to the truth in our heads. God, come and do more than we can ask and imagine. Even in this short hour that we have together, come, Holy Spirit. Come by your presence and your power. We welcome you. Just pray for the person that you're next to right now. Just pray that they would hear the Father's voice speak to them in this seminar. Just pray for them real quick. God loves to hear your voice. So I just encourage you to pray out loud, okay? Just pray for God's blessing on the person that you're next to right now. Just pray that they'd encounter God's love, that they'd know his nearness, that they'd know God's touch in their life. Just pray that they would get more than they came for. (laughs) Do you know, everyone who encountered Jesus got more than they bargained for. So just pray that for the person you're sitting next to. Pray they get more than they bargained for. You can never exaggerate the goodness of God. He's better than you think. Just pray for a revelation of that this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, I've just invited just a couple of friends just to be praying uh, that God would give them just a few encouraging words for people And the Bible says about prophecy, that prophecy, when God speaks, he speaks to encourage us and to strengthen us, which means that God always has good things to say, all right? And a good test of whether something is from God is whether it encourages us and strengthens us and builds us up. And so we just want to leave a little bit of space at the start of this seminar just to encourage one or two of you with the things that we feel like God might want to say to you. So we're just going to do that for a few minutes. Is that okay? Okay, now, if you get excited about anything in this seminar, feel free to express it, okay? So if you're like, yeah, that's good, then feel free to go, yeah, that was good. That's all right. Um, so I just felt like God wanted to just encourage this, this lady just here. You're sitting in the white top. Yes, next to the lady in pink. Hi, what's your name? Um, I just felt uh, God wanted to really encourage you and say that you were born for such a time as this. Um, and God reminded me of a, a lady in the Old Testament whose name was Esther. And Esther, even as a young woman, became the queen of a great nation. And God used Esther to bring massive deliverance to many, many other people. And I just feel like the Father wants to encourage you that your life has incredible purpose and destiny. And that this is a season where you're going to start to understand and make sense of some of the things that have happened to you in your life. And see that God's hand is on you and he's going to turn those things for your advantage and blessing. 
And even as Esther, as a young woman, she entered into a situation that was very dangerous, and yet she saw God's hand on her to bring life. And the Father just wants to say to you, Hewitt, that his hand is on your life, and that you were born for such a time as this. And I, I, I just feel like you're in a season of incredible revelation of how God really thinks about you. And what I felt was that this is a season where the Father is going to start looking after you. The Father is going to start looking after you. And you're going to start to discover how deeply your Heavenly Father loves you. And to understand that He has never left you or forsaken you, even at any moment in your life, that He's been with you. And that He can take the fragments and He can make something beautiful and magnificent out of them. And you are a daughter of destiny. And you need to understand how heaven sees you this morning. And I think one of the reasons that you're the very first person that God wanted me to pick out in this session is that you ought to understand you're not just a face in the crowd, but that you are known by the Father. And at times where the enemies lied that you're always going to miss out, the Father says, that's not true. You're not always going to miss out. The Father has incredible, incredible blessing for you. And God loves to put orphans in families. And I feel like there's something about your life where you are going to demonstrate the goodness of God by putting orphans in families. You're going to be someone who restores families. You're going to be someone who restores things that have been broken. And you're going to speak hope and you're going to speak life to a generation that needs to know it. You have to understand yourself through heaven's eyes. You're wonderful. God loves you so much and he wants to say that loud and clear. God, can we just applaud what God's doing in this young girl's life and just thank God for his promises this morning. Did, did, did some of that make some sense to you? Yeah? Okay, that's great. All right, brilliant. Guys, just come and join me if you've got stuff you want to share. Yeah, yeah. These are my friends Josh and Lauren. Just welcome them up. Make them feel welcome. Um, is there someone here with a tattoo on the back of their arm, just around by their elbow? Um, I had a picture of that in the meeting earlier. Is there anybody here with that? You do. Fantastic. Um, it's going to be really hard for you because I've got the mic and you don't. What's your name? Tim. Oh, no, it wasn't. Great. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I saw that um, recently your life has been splitting in two parts. Um, and I saw that the father um, wanted to speak a little bit about that. I, I felt like you've been walking on a road and it's almost like when the road forks, you kind of, as it gets wider and wider, it's really, really difficult to walk. And um, it's come to a point where you're going to have to make a decision about which way to go. Um, and I feel it's caused quite a bit of anxiety. And um, what I heard the father say was that actually he is in both and that he he wants to give you rest today um, and to say actually that he has created you to be an incredibly powerful man and that every choice you make is powerful and that he trusts you to make the right decision and that actually that he's not worried about whether this is going to go wrong or go right. It's not about that. He, he already knows that it's going to go okay because he trusts you because you're an incredible man of God. And I feel that um, for you, Tim, that the Father is, has been taking you on a journey of deepening your relationship with him as a son and for you to know what it is to be his child and to know security. And actually this whole decision-making process that's been causing you stress is just an outworking of um, sonship. And all of this is going to, um, is, is God has just been using it to reveal actually how incredible you are and I feel as a result of whatever decision you make um, I just see that 
your there's going to be a platform increase. I just see you getting an upgrade. Now, sometimes upgrades look like problems because it's like we see a wall in front of us and it's like, man, this is going to be really hard. But actually, it's just the next step up um, for the things that God has for you. And I, I see this this next six months... Um, some of the difficult decisions that you've been having to make are going to start clearing up. So by January next year, I just see fresh life coming to you. And I see um, coming uh, from January onwards, I just see um, I just see a new opportunity. Sorry, I'm, is, that, is this okay? I'm going to keep going. Um, I just see come January, I see an opportunity for you within business, but also within church. Um, I see your, God's called you to be a king and a priest, people who govern the pe- someone who governs people, but also leads people into God's presence. And to know that actually some of this decision making, where it feels really difficult and it's like it's splitting you in two, is actually. Um, once you make that decision it's going to kind of bring everything together and it's going to help you be kind of commit to that one thing that you're called to so i'm going to pray for you so father i thank you for tim god i thank you for this incredible guy i thank you lord that you've been deepening um who uh, out his character and really revealing uh, to him who he is as your son and i pray holy spirit that over these next six months you would really make it clear as to what decision he has to make but god above all of that um he would know that he is trusted by heaven and that i thank you father that heaven trusts this man because he has a good heart and because he's your child and i pray you would bless him in jesus name amen does that make sense yeah that's great hello um sorry you in the back you're kind of wearing a black top and you kind of got gingery blondie hair yeah you um sorry what's your name caroline Caroline. okay um yeah i really felt i like saw you as soon as you kind of came in the room and i just felt like god wanted to say he's made you so well i felt like he kind of said stop hiding yourself you know you're gonna you're gonna connect people and bring people life and joy and you're made to be an amazing friend and support people and people are gonna love you for who you are and to stop being afraid of that and your personality, but to really bring it out and connect to people. Yeah. yeah. It's well done, Lauren. Yeah, Caroline, I just felt as well that God was going to turn things from kind of black and white into technicolor in your life, and that there was there are explosions of joy coming. And uh, I wonder if there's been a season where you've. Um, you struggled sometimes to think clearly, and your thoughts have been maybe a little bit bleak. And I just feel like God's bringing explosions of joy into your life. And this is a season of color. This is a season of understanding how much the Father loves you. And uh, God loves you amazingly well. Um, I just felt as well, there's a lady at the back in the maroon. You're sitting cross-legged. You're staring right at me. Yes, you. You're smiling. What's your name? Lee. Um, Lee, again, I just a really, really simple encouragement to you, which is to, uh, again, uh, I feel like God's bringing you into a season of maturity in terms of how you disciple and train others. And uh, I don't know if you're involved in youth work at all or leading kind of in kids, uh, but I feel like there's something for you to come into in this season where you're going to learn to disciple and train those younger than yourself and that God's going to give you a Holy Spirit confidence to do that. And that your confidence is not going to be uh, just in your own ability, but it's going to be in the fact that the Holy Spirit has anointed you to raise up a new generation. And I feel like in your own church setting that this is a season for you to step forward and to volunteer and put your hand up and say, I want to be involved and I want to lead and I want to play my part. And God is very much taking you out of the shadows and into the limelight in terms of your church. 
I think as well, God just wants to remind you that your value is not in your performance, but is in your identity. And that you need to understand that God's affirmation of you has nothing to do with how good your grades are, has nothing to do with how well you perform, but it has everything to do with who you are, that you are a daughter of the king, and that you carry a dignity wherever you go just by virtue of who you are. And God says you're going to carry that confidence into all these different areas of your life and make them a flourishing, flourishing place. So God bless you. I hope that's encouraging. All right, Leah, we can encourage, we can thank God. You got any more? All right, let's do one more, shall we? Um, are you in the red top with the, the fringe? Yeah, yeah. What's your name? Katie. Um, very simply, but I think this is real profound for you, is that um, the Father wants you to know that you are more than enough. You are more than enough for him. Um, and it's he has so much affection for you um, and uh, you are in exactly the right place right now because he just wants to pour more and more love on you and uh, the reality is you have been totally adopted by him and the, the stuff that goes through your mind the stuff that keeps you up at night that stops you from really believing does is um, you know is Jesus enough you know can I really be saved I feel like the father wants to come and wipe all of that away like a whiteboard and just write on there you are enough because you are because Jesus says so he would have he would do it all again and he would die just for you because you are more than enough you are so valuable to him awesome all right Great. Well, we're going to have some time at the end again to pray and just respond to what God's saying. Um, Hands up if you've been in this seminar track so far this week. Hands up if this is your first time. All right. Okay. So let me just do a little bit of recap for you. So this seminar track is following the story of Abraham and in particular Abraham's relationship with a a, a woman called Hagar who had a son to Abraham uh, called Ishmael. And just to kind of recap really quickly the story that we're looking for, um, Abraham was given an amazing promise by God that he would have a son, even in his old age. And Abraham received this promise from God. The trouble was he was getting older and his wife Sarah was barren. And he waited, we don't know quite how long, but at least 25 years until eventually he has the heir of that promise whose name was Isaac. But what happens between the receiving of the promised son Isaac is that Abraham thinks, well, I've got this promise from God that I'm going to have a son. This son doesn't seem to be coming through my wife, Sarah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sleep with my slave, Hagar, and try and have a son with her instead. What ends up happening is that she has a son called Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the heir of the promise that God originally gave Abraham. And eventually he goes on to have a miracle child, Isaac, with his wife, Sarah. And so family life in Abraham's household is tricky, (laughs) to say the least, because he's got his wife and his son, Isaac. But also in his family, he's got his slave, Hagar, and his other son, Ishmael. And how many of you know that sometimes families can get complicated? Well, Abraham's family was complicated. There were a whole bunch of issues going on. And as we come to our portion of the story today, what we discover is a moment of real incredible rejection that Ishmael and his mother Hagar experienced at the hands of Abraham. And to cut a long story short, what happens in our story, which you can read in Genesis 21, is this, is that one day Ishmael starts teasing Isaac 
Sarah's mother doesn't take kindly to what's going on. And so she says to her husband, Abraham, you've got to send your slave, Hagar, and your son, Ishmael, away. They can no longer live with us. And this is what we read in the story. This upset Abraham very much. For after all, Ishmael too was his son. But God told Abraham, don't be upset over the boy or your slave girl wife. Do as Sarah says. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food for the journey, and strapped a canteen of water to Hagar's shoulders and sent her away with their son. She walked out into the wilderness, wandering aimlessly. When the water was gone, she left the youth in the shade of a bush and went off and sat down a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch him die, she said, and burst into tears, sobbing wildly. Then God heard the boy crying, and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar and said, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy's cries even as he is lying there. Go and get him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. And so she refilled the canteen and gave the boy a drink. And God blessed the boy, and he grew up in the wilderness of Paran, and became an expert archer. And the issue that we're focusing in on today is this issue of how we handle life's experiences of feeling and being rejected, which is exactly what Ishmael and Hagar experience in this story. And walking through experiences of rejection in our life is possibly one of the hardest, toughest life experiences that you and I can walk through. And this is a massive, massive issue in our nation. Right now in our nation, more teenagers own a smartphone than have a father at home. This is, this is the culture and the context of our nation right now where literally thousands and thousands of people growing up in your generation, in your schools, are experiencing firsthand the experience of feeling rejected. Maybe by parents, maybe by siblings, maybe by mothers or uncles or teachers, even church leaders sometimes or friends. Probably all of us in this room have had an experience or experiences of feeling rejected. And sometimes through no fault of your own, you can end up, like Ishmael, feeling abandoned and even feeling abandoned by God. And certainly my kind of experience growing up, I grew up in a, in a good Christian home. My dad was a church pastor, and so I, I was a kind of pastor's kid growing up, and home life was great, but school life was tough. For me, the place where I really experienced rejection was at school. So growing up, I used to have quite bad eczema, and so for years and years, my experience of being at school was being bullied and being rejected because of the color of my skin and because of uh, the, the condition that I had. And I would regularly get bullied, get called names, and really for years kind of carried that as a bit of an identity label because that's what can happen when you feel rejected is you end up kind of carrying that stuff around with you and you think, this is who I am. It becomes part of your identity. And the good news is this, is that God has the perfect strategy for dealing with our experiences of rejection. Halle, jolly, And this is what Psalm 27.10 says. It says, even if my father and mother reject me, the Lord will hold me close. The Lord will hold me close. And 
One of the beautiful things about our story today is that Ishmael, even though he encountered rejection from his earthly father, it actually created a highway for him to meet his heavenly father. There was an exchange, an encounter that happened where he walked through pain, but in the process he met God. He met God's answer to rejection, which was God began to take care of him. God began to provide for him. God began to meet his needs. And I want us to understand today that the way that God deals with our experiences and feelings of rejection is through providing the answer through himself. And in particular, the way that he adopts us into his family. Do you understand that you've been adopted into God's family? About two of you. That's excellent. You've been adopted into God's family. And it's one of the most beautiful truths of the gospel that the cross was not just God's desire to deal with your sin, but the desire behind the cross was this. God wanted you in his family. Do you understand that's why the cross was necessary? So that God could deal with the barrier of sin so that he could have you. Do you understand that behind the cross there is a father's desire to adopt you fully into his family and give you a new identity? And this is the way that God deals with our rejection. Is that he says, listen, that old identity of freedom rejected has now been swallowed up in the wonder that I am now God's child. And I wonder whether you realize that this morning, that you are God's child, you're God's son, you're God's daughter, you're his beloved. This is what Romans 8 tells us. It says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. That's amazing. Abba, Father. Abba is the Hebrew word for daddy. If you would go to uh, uh, an airport in Israel and you saw a little girl or boy greeting their father as they came through at the airport, this is what they would run crying with their arms outstretched. Abba, Abba, Abba. And what the scripture says is that this is now our new identity, that we can now call him Abba, Daddy, Father God, because we are now adopted into his family. And when we begin to understand that I am now no longer rejected, but I am now accepted as an adopted child in the father's family, it begins to deal with the lies that rejection throws our way. Because what happens is when you walk through experiences of rejection, you begin to collect in your head a whole bunch of lies about yourself that begin to alter your behavior and your understanding of who you are and who God is. And they're lies that, that actually are, are stripped away and made powerless through the gospel. What happens is God begins to replace old ways of thinking with the new truth of who we are. And so I want to look at a few of the major lies that rejection brings us and how adoption deals with them. Here's line number one of rejection. The lie is that I am not wanted. That's the first lie that experiences rejection give us. We carry around in our head, either consciously or subconsciously, this thought, I am not wanted. But the truth is, you are now fully accepted in Christ. You can get happy about that at any moment. You are fully accepted in Christ. Romans 15.7 says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. 
Do you know the word rejection literally means, its root meaning is to be thrown away or to be unwanted or discarded. And often what happens when we experience rejection is that we pick up this old, this, this way of thinking that says, I am, I'm someone who's just thrown away by others, who's discarded, who's, who's, who's kind of put to one side. And we can begin to believe the lie that I'm not wanted. Which is why some of us, for example, when you go and join a conversation or you see a crowd of friends and they're talking, the, the kind of lie that pops into your head is, when I join that conversation, people are not going to really want me around. People are not really interested in what I have to say. I'm kind of the tag on at the end of the group. I'm kind of the, the odd one out because really I'm not wanted. That's why we think the way we do so often. But the truth is in Christ you've been accepted. And it's so important that you allow the truth of what's happened in your heart to start impacting the way you think in your mind. Do you know the biggest battleground in your life is not here, it's here. It's how you really think, how you think about God, how you think about yourself. Because what happens is if we don't renew our minds and begin to think how God sees us, I am now accepted and not rejected. I am now wanted, not discarded. Then we can get stuck in the cycle of rejection. And the cycle of rejection is, is this, I'm just going to borrow my wife as a visual illustration here's my lovely and beautiful wife carol wilfew so what happens is if we live with old ways of thinking of i'm unwanted and i'm rejected and and what happens is that we a defense mechanism to rejection is that we will often reject people before they have an opportunity to reject us so if I'm living with an old mindset of I'm unwanted, I've, I've been discarded, and that actually really hurts. When someone tries to come close to me and get to know who I really am, my defense mechanism kicks in. And I'm like, before you have an opportunity to reject me, I'm going to reject you. And I'm going to push you away. And that's the, that's the cycle of rejection that we get into if we don't change the way we think now that we're in Christ. Thank you. I don't reject you. I accept you. I love you. We get stuck in these cycles of rejection. And one of my reflections, even when I was going through school and I was living with this, this lens of people who reject me because of the way I look. I'm unwanted. I'm, I'm, I'm discarded. My defense mechanism to that was to reject other people before they could reject me. I remember once coming to the, one of the, the, the girls who bullied me the most when I was at primary school. And she used to tease me every single day. And she would make fun of me and she would get other people to kind of gang up against me. And I remember one, one morning just having enough. And as she walked up to me, I said something incredibly, incredibly spiteful to her. I basically said to her, you are, you are ugly and no one is ever going to love you. Now, she stopped bullying me at that point. But guess what? I traded something bad in that moment. I was fighting fire with fire. I wasn't fighting with love. I was actually rejecting her so that she would stop rejecting me. And that's what happens in our relationships with one another if we don't change the way that we think about who we now are. I remember when I was going out with Carol in our kind of early kind of part of the courtship I remember still just having this old lens of, I feel rejected, I feel like I'm unwanted or, 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 or kind of discarded, thrown away. 
And I remember saying to her, listen, do you, do you really want to go out with me because you fancy me? I was scared stiff that she just wanted to be with me just because I was a kind of a godly man that was going to look after her. But I didn't really believe that she found me attractive. And I remember having that conversation and her saying, no, you need to see yourself as I see you now. And if we don't deal with this way of thinking, it affects the way we behave towards others. Typically, we will start to hold people at arm's length. It means that often our relationships will be very shallow Because our fear is, if people really get to know the real me, they won't like me and they'll reject me. And so we live on the surface of our relationships with one another. Also, if you live with this old mindset of I'm not wanted rather than accepted, it can stop you taking any risks. (laughs) Because actually the thought of failing, you think, if I fail, then I'm going to get rejected. So I'm going to live life very cautiously and safe. How many of you have seen the film Back to the Future? That's good, because this illustration will work. If you haven't, I apologize. Go and see it when you get home. But uh, Back to the Future, there's this kind of amazing cycle of rejection going on in the story of Back to the Future. And I don't know if you remember it, but um, Marty McFly, he's kind of in this kind of cool rock band. And his, his girlfriend kind of gets this demo that he's done of his band. And she's like, Marty, this is brilliant. You should send this off. You should, you should send this to a record company. You might get a deal. And he looks at it and he's like, yeah, but what if I send it off and they think I'm no good? What if, they, what if they think we suck? What if they hate our music? I just don't think I could handle that kind of rejection. And so he never sent it off. And then in the film, he goes back in time and he meets his own father, George McFly. And George is secretly writing science fiction stories, but he hasn't told, tell, told anyone. And Marty, his son, gets hold of them and he's like, George, you're a brilliant writer. You should send these stories off. Maybe you'll get published. And George looks at Martin and he's like, yeah, but what if I send these off? What if they think I'm no good? What if they think I suck? I just don't think I can handle that kind of rejection. And then at the end of the film, you know, George fancies Lorraine and he won't ask her out. And Marty's like, ask her out. She really likes you, George. Ask her out. And he's like, I can't. I can't ask her. Why not? Well, what if I ask her and she says no? I just don't think I could handle that kind of rejection. And so it goes on. You see the cycle of rejection just repeating and repeating and repeating. And it stops them ever from taking any risks in case they mess up and in case they fail. And that's where many of us live because we live with this old mindset. But listen, the truth in Christ is this. You are now fully accepted in Christ. Just as you are, warts and all, fully accepted in Christ because of what he has done. You don't sound convinced, but this is good news. This is the gospel. This is good news. You are fully accepted now in Christ, which means this, that even though God didn't need you, he wanted you. Do you understand that? God wanted you. You are on God's wanted list a very, very long time ago. In fact, Ephesians says that in love, he predestined you to be adopted as his sons. Whoo! In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his sons, which means that God had a plan a long, long time ago to adopt you into his family because he wanted you as his son. He wanted you as his daughter. I remember when we uh, adopted my brother into my family. I was about 14 years old. 
And in those days, adoption was you, you looked through a catalogue at a face after face of children that needed adoption. And you basically picked one. You said, I'd like to meet this one and I'd like to meet that one. And it was, just, it was like a catalogue. But I remember when I was praying about adoption, God said to me, he said, the, the name of the boy that you're going to adopt is Adam. And I remember when we went to visit my adopted brother for the first time in his foster home. And we pulled up and there he was with his shaggy blonde hair, waiting on the doorstep with his Man United kit on, with a football under his arm, with an expectant look on his face. And his name was Adam. I knew that God had picked him. The truth is God has picked you. He wanted you and his family. And this thought that I am wanted by the Father should deal with that old lie of I'm rejected. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. And what that means is that when you know that you are accepted, you can now accept others. Because you have something different to give away. I no longer need to reject. I can accept you just as I've been accepted by the Father. So that's good. So, second lie. Second lie that our adoption deals with is this. I have to perform perfectly to be loved. It's replaced with this truth. I am loved because of who I am, not because of what I do. This is very, very good news. This is very, very good news because... Often when we're living life through the lens of I am rejected, we can believe the lie that I am only loved when I'm performing really well. When I get the good grades, my mum and dad say, well done. But actually when my grades plummet, I don't receive that kind of love. In fact, I feel rejected. You know, if I, if I look like the perfect supermodel all the time, then people around me are going to accept me and love me. So I'd better keep up the standards in case they reject me. You know, I, I better kind of come first in, in my race. I better kind of be top of the tree. I better prove that I'm worth loving and receiving love by others. Many of us unconsciously live from this position of living for affirmation rather than living from affirmation. And there is a big difference between the two. That was a good point, Phil. That was excellent. There's a big difference. Living for affirmation rather than living from affirmation. Because the truth is this. God loved you when you were a complete basket case. (laughs) He loved you. In fact, Scripture says this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Wow. When you were at your most hopeless, the Father said, Yes, that's the one I want. He loved you irrespective of your performance, but because of who you are. Someone made in the image of God. That's who you are. You are loved not by what you do or how you perform or what kind of grades you get or what you look like, but because you have intrinsic worth as a child of God created in your Father's image. You are now affirmed because of who you are. God says yes to you. Do you know that God actually likes you? You know, I think some of us can have this attitude of, well, God's kind of got to love me because God's love, and that's what he has to do. He has to love me. He's got no choice. But you know, the reality is that God not only loves you, he likes you, and that he fashioned you in your mother's womb. He formed you exactly the way that he designed you to be. 
You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says you are the apple of your father's eye. Scripture calls you his beloved, his precious one, his called out ones, his bride. These are the words that God uses to describe of you, which means that he likes you within a passionate, passionate love. He says yes to you. And understanding this truth breaks us out of this cycle of feeling like we need to perform in order not to be rejected. Um, I don't know how many of you have heard of a a tennis player called Andre Agassi. He used to be a number one tennis player in the world. And uh, he's an American guy. And I read his biography a few years ago. And his biography is this incredible story, not so much about tennis, but his relationship with his dad as he learned to play tennis. And Andre Agassi's dad decided that before his son was born, if he had a son, he would train his son to be number one tennis player in the world. And so as soon as Andre was born, even in Andre's baby cot, he would hang this mobile crib in his cot that had tennis balls on it. So that baby Andre would get used to the sight of a tennis ball in his crib. And then just as a little boy, Andre Agassi's dad, Mike, would gaffer tape a tennis racket to Andre Agassi's arm and he would say to his son, just hit anything in the house that you want to. Get used to the feel of a racket on your arm. Learn how to kind of uh, fine-tune your your ball-to-hand eye coordination. Just hit things, Andre. And then by the age of seven, Andre Agassi was practicing morning, noon and night in the tennis court that his father had built in the back of their house. And uh, Andre writes this, that his father built a machine. It was called the Dragon. And the Dragon was a machine that fired tennis balls at 110 miles per hour. And it used to rattle before it spat out tennis balls. And Andre Agassi's dad would place this thing at one side of the net and fire tennis balls at his seven-year-old son's feet to try and train him to improve his reaction skills. And Agassi writes this. He said... My dad reckons this, that if a kid hits 2,500 tennis balls a day, he will hit 17,500 each week. And at the end of one year, he will have hit nearly 1 million tennis balls. My dad believes in maths. Numbers don't lie. A child who hits 1 million tennis balls every year will be unbeatable. And Agassi writes about this experience of growing up under this father's drivenness in his life to perform, perform, perform. And he writes this. He says, I'm seven years old and I'm talking to myself because I'm scared and because I'm the only person who listens to me. Under my breath, I whisper, just quit, Andre. Give up. Put your racket down and walk off this court. Wouldn't that feel like heaven, Andre? Just to quit, to never play tennis again. But I can't. Not only would my father, Mike, chase me around the house with my racket, but something in my gut, some deep unseen muscle, won't let me quit. I hate tennis, and I hate it with all my heart. And yet I still keep playing. I keep hitting all morning, all afternoon, because I have no choice. No matter how much I want to stop, I don't. I keep begging myself to stop, and yet I still keep playing. And Agassi grew up under this thinking of, I have to perform perfectly to be accepted. And on the day that he finally won Wimbledon for the first time, it was the first major championship Agassi won, 
And the first person that he called to tell was his dad. And he picked up the phone and he called his dad and he said, Dad, Dad, I finally did it. I won. I won Wimbledon. I did it, Dad. And this is what his dad said. He said, you shouldn't have lost the first set. And he hung up. Now, that is an extreme example of someone who's living in a performance-related culture, a performance-approval culture. But the reality is the culture that many of us live up and grow up in is exactly the same. Where we only receive affirmation if we do something well, if we perform to the best of our ability, if we look good, if we sound good, if we get the most laughs, if we're popular. Even the schooling system will throw this at you and say you are only worth something if you come top of the tree. But you know the gospel says something completely different to you. It says that in Christ, you are now affirmed simply because of who you are. You are valuable. Whether or not you do anything valuable, you're valuable. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and that truth should make you walk down the high street with your head held high. Because you understand who you are. I am a son of the living God. That changes everything. I am now affirmed because of who I am. And when you know the Father's affirmation, it releases you from the prisoner performance and enables you to live from the love of the Father. Third, third lie is this. I am powerless. This is another lie that rejection gives us. It gives us this mistaken feeling that somehow I am excluded and I'm powerless. I have no power to influence anything. I'm on the outside. I'm on the margins. Whereas the truth is this, Ephesians 2.18, through Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Do you know that you have access to the heavenly storehouses of your Father's riches forever and ever and ever? You have access to the Father by one spirit. And God has blown out of the water this old way of thinking that I am now excluded and on the edge. I think Ishmael may well have felt this, this thought in his head. I'm just, I'm the forgotten one. I'm powerless. Isaac's the one with all the power. I'm the one who's on the edge. I'm the one who's on the margins. I'm the son who missed out. But the reality is he discovers a heavenly father who says, no, no, I've got a plan for you. You are not going to miss out. I'm not, you're not going to miss out. And understanding this breaks off this old thinking that I'm excluded. You know, one of the things I love about going back to my mum and dad's house, I, I moved out of my mum and dad's house a long time ago, but because I'm a wealthy boy, I still have fridge rights. Do you know what fridge rights are? Fridge rights are, when I'm in my father's house, I get to open the fridge and take my dad's best stuff. I can drink his nicest beer and use his nicest ham in a sandwich. And Because I'm a son in my father's household. I understand who I am. And when I'm in my dad's household, I have access to my father's riches because of who I am. And the reality is you have access to your father's riches because of who you now are, a child of God. You have full access to your father, which means that you are no longer powerless. And what happens, you see, when you feel and believe the lie, I am powerless, one of two things can happen in your life. Number one, if you feel powerless, you can suck your thumb and go into self-pity. You can go into poor me, pity me, have a pity party. 
If you feel excluded and feel like I've got no influence, often what we do is that we, we withdraw into the shadows and we suck our thumb and we think, oh, poor me, and we try and get attention from other people by looking sad and sorrowful all the time because we believe that we've got no influence. Or you can go to the other extreme, which is over here, where you think, to have significance, I'm going to have to fight and push for power. I'm going to have to make sure I get to the front of the queue and get myself seen and make my voice heard and make sure I get the most laughs, that I'm the popular one. You can kind of push, push for position if you believe that really you're excluded and powerless. But you know, there is a better way. And it's understanding that you are a powerful person because you've been adopted into the Father's family. That is your new identity. And one of the guys I love reading about is a guy called George Muller, who is a, a, an amazing Christian man in the 19th century. And George Muller was a great believer in, 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 in prayer. And there's a great story one day where George Muller is on a ship going to Canada. And in the middle of his voyage, this ship hits incredibly dense fog and has to stop and weigh anchor. And the captain comes to George Muller and says, Mr. Muller, there is no way that you're going to get to Canada by Saturday. The fog is too dense. It's too dangerous. We're not going to be able to get there on Saturday. You're going to miss your appointment. And George Muller said this to the captain. He said, very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. For I have never missed an engagement in 57 years. Don't you love that? (laughs) He's in the middle of the ocean. He's like, if your ship won't take me, God's going to find another way. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. And so they go down to the chart room to pray. And the captain is still saying to George Muller, no, listen, this is not going to work. You don't understand how dense the fog is. There is no way we're going to get to Canada by Saturday. And George Muller's like, let's just pray. The captain says, Mr. Muller, do you not realize how dense the fog is? No, replied George. My eye is not on the dense fog but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. The captain then told how George knelt down and prayed one of the simplest prayers he'd ever heard. And when he finished, the captain tried to pray himself, but to his surprise, George put his hand on the captain's shoulder and told him to stop. First of all, he said, you don't believe God's going to answer. And secondly, I believe he already has. Consequently, there's no need whatsoever for you to pray about it. Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been even a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Wow. Wow. He said, get up, captain, open the door and you'll see that the fog is gone. The captain got up, opened the door and sure enough, the fog was already gone. And George Muller made his appointment in Canada on Saturday. And Muller used to have this little motto on his desk that he used to read often that would help him to pray and understand the access he had to God. And it was simply this, it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. And you see, that is someone who's living life thinking like a child of God. It matters to my father about me. Therefore, I am no longer an excluded being. I may have walked through many experiences of rejection, but the truth now that I'm in Christ, I have access. And you have access. You have free access to your Father by a new and living way. Do you know that when my kids call me on the mobile phone, 
They have access unlike any other person on the planet. Why? Because of who they are. I wonder, do you understand who you are? Let me tell you, the single biggest thing that will bring breakthrough to your feeling rejected is this. Understand who you now are. If you could just get that one revelation this morning, if this could take root in your thinking, I am, I am no longer that rejected person. I am fully accepted in Christ. I tell you, it would change your life. You could turn the world upside down if you got that one single revelation. And that is what we're going to pray for right now. We're going to break off some lies. We're going to break off some old ways of thinking. And we're going to invite the Father to come and give us revelation of who he is and who we now are. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Thank you, Father. All right, just where you're standing right now, why don't you just close your eyes and maybe just lift your hands to the Lord where you are. And we're just going to take a moment to respond. Do you know, for us, it's time to stop thinking like orphans and to start thinking like sons and daughters of the living God. That's who you now are. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. (laughs) The new has come. You're no longer what you once were. You are a brand new creation. You are God's masterpiece. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you for the truth. Thank you for the truth. We are no longer rejected. We are accepted in you. Wow. Wow. Thank you, God. Guys, what we're going to do now, just keep your eyes closed, is we're going to do some declarations together, okay? which means it's going to require you to speak out loud. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a line, and then I want want you out loud to say the line after me if you agree with what I'm saying, okay? And what we're going to do is just we're going to break agreement with some lies, and we're going to accept some truths about who we now are, okay? So are you up for this? Are you up for this? Okay, what about the back? you guys up for this? Great, at least three of you. That's awesome. All right, let's close our eyes, and uh, I'm just going to say a line, and then I want you to repeat it out loud, okay? I want you to make this, this your declaration, because your words are powerful, okay? Your words are powerful. So here we go. You ready? Father, I thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. (laughs) I am loved with an everlasting love. I have been chosen by you. You not only love me, you actually like me. (laughs) You are for me and not against me. So today I break agreement. With old ways of thinking. I break agreement with the lie. That I am powerless. I break agreement with the lie. That I am unlovable. I break agreement with the lie. 
that I am unwanted. I break agreement with the lie that I'm only loved when I perform well. But I receive the truth. I am fully accepted in Christ. (laughs) I'm a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I am your masterpiece. You've made me in your image. And I am now your child. Amen.